You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Home Defense Show. I'm your host, Skip Coriel. This is where we talk about all things family, personal, and home defense. Great to be back after a, a week of hard snow here in uh, Michigan, where I'm broadcasting you from my mobile command post, i.e. my Honda Odyssey. Thanks for joining us today. Been a rough week. I'm uh, not real good with the winter time and the snow. I'm fine in December. November, obviously, that's hunting season. I go out, I kill Bambi. Uh, that's fun. I don't mind getting cold doing that. But December... Uh, that's okay, too. Got a little bit of hunting, Christmas. December's fun. Watch It's a Wonderful Life, Die Hard, all the good Christmas movies. But then January comes. January is a long month. And it's even longer when you're in the Northwoods. Oh, gosh, thank God I don't live in Alaska. I know Alaska's beautiful. Don't send me emails saying Alaska's wonderful. I know Alaska is wonderful. I'm going to visit there someday in July, but, uh, I, you know, if I was independently wealthy, every February I would spend someplace warm, maybe down on the Gulf Coast, Arizona, uh, Florida's too populated, don't know if I want to go down there, but uh, that's just me. But hey, I'm recording on Tuesday, in two days, it's going to be Groundhog Day, I don't know if that furry little guy's going to see his shadow, but if he predicts six more weeks of winter, you know, I'm going to pull a Bill Murray on him, and I'm just going to blow his furry little head off. What's been going on with me personally? Oh, I've just been uh, working uh, White Feather Press, uh, my publishing company. Um, We had Yehuda Reamer on here uh, a couple of weeks ago. He wrote the book Safety On, Introduction to the World of Firearms for Children. That thing is going great guns on Amazon. It was the number one new seller on Amazon, and it's still selling really well. And uh, we hope to announce some distribution deals for him soon. I'll keep you posted on that. What else? Last night, oh, man, I am running on fumes today. I didn't get to sleep till probably 2.30 in the morning, and then I woke up at 4.30. So I've got like two hours of sleep today. It's all because of my children. You know, I love my children. They're fantastic. They give me a a reason to get up in the morning. But I tell you, I'm laying there in bed trying to get to sleep. I don't know, about midnight or so. And I hear this chime. It's just a double chime. And I thought, oh, it's some type of electronic device. Uh, Must be batteries low or something like that. So I get up and I walk around the room looking for the electrical device so that I can turn it off and I can get some sleep. So finally I find a, uh, the kids have three walkie-talkies. I've got three little kids. they got three little walkie-talkies. One of them had been left on. So I go ahead and I turn it off. I go back in bed. Exactly 15 minutes later, I hear another chime. And it takes me about 16 minutes to get to sleep. So I get up, it's in the dark, my wife's sleeping, the kids are all sleeping, so I've got a flashlight and I'm looking all over for electronic devices to turn off. I find another of these walkie-talkies, and it's on, 
So I go ahead, I turn it off, and I go back in bed. I'm almost asleep, and then 16 minutes later, another chime. I'm getting a little upset by now. I'm ready to start shooting things. So I get up, and I'm looking all over. I can't find anything. About a half hour later, I realize that the gun safe battery might be going dead. So I go ahead, and I, all right, for tonight, I'll just unhook the battery, and I'll uh, at least get some sleep. So I go back to bed. Fifteen minutes later, I hear a chime, and I am fit to be tied. And then I realize, oh, we just got new smoke detectors. I bet the smoke detector is faulty, and uh, I need to take it back. So I, I go, I get the smoke detector, and I grab it, and I take it downstairs, and I put it out in the on the porch where I can't hear it anymore. So I go back, I get in bed. I'm almost asleep, and there's that damn chime again. And I get up, and I'm looking all over. And finally, I I find the third walkie-talkie. It was down uh, on a shelf where I couldn't see it, covered up with some stuff. And I turned that one off. Finally, that was it. Uh, five electronic devices I had to shut off. Of course, then I went and had to hook up the gun safe again and the... the um, smoke detector and, and all the other stuff but uh, as a result i didn't get a whole lot of sleep last night but hey when you've got little kids that's your life it's just it just goes with the territory but hey i'm good to be here today i'm excited today because we have got we're going to be talking about something different not zombie apocalypse uh, that was fun um not vampires um not even snowflakes who seem to be melting down all across the country. We're going to be talking about societal collapse, social unrest, um, all kinds of stuff like that. I'm thinking what we'll do is we'll talk about this for several weeks because it is very important to have a defense for your family when, how do you say it, when the crap hits the fan? In prepper terms, they, they call that SHTF, uh, the shit hits the fan. So we're going to be talking about that basically for the last three segments. So I'm looking forward to that. Right now, we got a little more time. Let's go ahead and let's talk about the news. Uh, let's go. All right, here I got, here's one from the Daily Wire. Pro-Black Lives Matter protester. We need to start killing people. You know, I've been meaning to talk about this. It seems like any time a white person talks about any anyone black, you, you know, you get you get crucified publicly uh, in a verbal nature. But you know what? If they're going to kill us anyways, we might as well talk about it. On Saturday night, a protester of unspecified gender wearing a Black Lives Matter T-shirt who claimed to be a preschool teacher seized a megaphone and told the crowd protesting against President Trump, we need to start killing people and we need to start killing the White House. Yeah, you know, I think I said this last week. That's why I homeschool my kids. Jeez. Preschool teacher. Fantastic. Ah, uh, the protester ranted, F white supremacy. F the U.S. empire. F your imperialist ass lives. That shit gotta go. Adding that white people should make reparations to black and indigenous people right now. The Blaze reported the rant allegedly came in Seattle. Well, either it did or it didn't, right? Ah, but the protester wasn't done. 
white people give your effing money, your effing house, your effing property. We need it, effing all. Pay the F up. Pay the F up. It ain't just your effing time. It's your effing money, and now your effing life is devoted to social change. You know, he kept going on. I'm not going to uh, finish this. But what does this have to do with personal defense? Gosh, if you're in a big city, it could have everything to do with personal defense. You may have noticed that there's a lot of people melting down right now. It's not just the snowflakes. I mean... Boy, the last couple of years, under the first black president in history, we have had more racial unrest. We haven't had racial unrest like this since the 60s. I remember the 60s. I was just a kid then, growing up, and boy, I remember the first time I saw a black person was in Kalamazoo. I was, I was small enough to ride in the, uh, right inside the cart. And I remember being terrified when I saw a, a black, my first black person because the only black people I had seen were on the news and they were protesting in the street, throwing firebombs and, uh, you know, hurting people. You know, of course, then I got in the Marine Corps much later on and realized all black people aren't like that. But it's just a few. I mean, it's there's a few black uh, bad people and there's a few white bad people. That's just the way it is. But... The bad apples seem to get all the press, like this preschool teacher. But I tell you, I'm predicting social unrest uh, this spring and summer because I don't see this getting any better. I just don't, folks. If you're not armed now, you really need to get armed for, for your family. Get armed for your family because you need to be able to protect them. You need to be armed at your home, you need to be trained and be armed out on the road. If you live in the city, might be a good time to rethink that. You might want to uh, get out of Dodge while you still can. But anyways, what else do we have? Chicago, 300 plus shootings in first 30 days of 2017. Gun-free zones are most dangerous place to be. Yeah, we already know that. What else we got? Oh, here's a good one from uh, Fox News. Was it self-defense? Homeowner charged with manslaughter for shooting at home invasion suspects. <laughs> well, I'll be the judge of that. Let's see what happened. A Minnesota homeowner is facing manslaughter charges after he told police he shot at a group of men who had tried breaking into his home, and one of the suspects later died in the hospital. Okay, someone breaks into my home, I'd probably shoot him too, but let's see what the details are. Sometimes details can either you acquit you or, or put you in prison. David Allen Pedersen, 65, called police around 7 a.m. Saturday to report a possible burglary and shooting at his home in Fielden Township, just south of Medalia, according to the blah, 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 blah. Okay. Pedersen told the dispatcher he fired his handgun at a gray car. Oh. He fired his handgun at a gray car that was leaving his property after an attempted burglary. Folks, I think I understand now why he is being charged. A deputy responding to the call found the car two miles north of Pedersen's home with three people inside. One of the passengers, 19-year-old Nicholas Thomas Embertson, had a gunshot wound and later died at Medalia Hospital. Folks, it, it's not good policy to shoot a fleeing felon. Oh, jeez. What, what other details do we need here? 
Pedersen, that's a homeowner, told investigators he was in bed when he heard someone trying to open a door to the deck. He saw the person jump from the deck and crawl toward a car, at which point he grabbed a forty-five caliber handgun and tried to shoot the tires of the car. Oh, my. You know, people see that on television and they try and do it themselves. What, what was this guy thinking? He's going to shoot the tires of the car so they can't get away. And then what's he going to do with the three bad guys? He's going to shoot them? Ah, he was about 10 feet from the car when he fired two or three shots. You know, the only way I'm going to try and shoot the tires out of a car is if they have my my five-year-old daughter inside the car and they're kidnapping her. All right, obviously, we understand now why he's being charged. Bad call, stupid move. He's being charged with manslaughter. Manslaughter, that's, that's homicide. Any taking of a human life by another human is homicide. And uh, it's manslaughter when you didn't purposely do it, but you did something really stupid. Jeez. This guy, I guess he's going to spend some prison time. Hope he's got good uh, legal protection. Hate to side with the bad guys on that, but oh well. They deserve, to be, they deserve to go to prison, but they did not deserve to die. Stupid kids. Stupid homeowner. Okay, folks, that's a good place to end this segment. We'll be back in a few. We're going to talk about prepping, societal collapse, how to prepare your family for a situation like that. While I'm gone, don't shoot a fleeing felon. My name is Steve Coriel. Welcome to the Home Defense Show with my dad, Skip Coriel. Don't go nowhere. We'll be right back. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call. And I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to the Home Defense Show. This is your host, Skip Coriel. Um, we have got a great show today, uh, segments two and three. We're going to be speaking with a man from South Dakota. His name is Trim, and he is a pretty serious prepper. Uh, we talked about that in the first segment, so you know what that is. Um, Trim, welcome to the Home Defense Show. Well, thanks, Skip. It's nice to be here. All right, Trim. Um, I know a little bit about your, your bio. We, we haven't met personally. This is our first time talking on the phone. 
but you have a very interesting uh, history. Uh, you, you have lived large uh, and fast. So why don't you go ahead and, and share with our listeners uh, just exactly who is Trim from South Dakota? Well, uh, I guess you could start it all the way back during uh, about 1967. I joined the Navy because I really didn't want to be drafted into the Army. <laughs> and, and, and I actually even got arrested for, for evading the draft because I forgot to go sign up for the selective service system, ah. even, even after I had already signed, uh, sworn into the Navy. Um, I spent four years in the, in the Navy. Most of that was with the, uh, the Marines. I spent a year in Vietnam with the Kilo 39, and then uh, I went to Okinawa for a while and then back to Camp Pelton and got out went to college. And um, hmm? after that, I uh, spent a year in the Naval Reserve, and then I got recruited into Special Forces, and I spent about seven years in Special Forces, finished up my college, and uh, I went to PA school, and then I went to medical school, and then um, I went back in the in the Army uh, National Guard, and then I retired from the Army National Guard in '91. But I stayed in until '93, and I got recalled to active duty with the Navy. Um, then uh, I spent the rest of my life in the uh, the Navy, and I retired from the Navy as an active duty officer in. Uh, March of 2007, so I've been retired about 10 years now. Wow, so this is not your first rodeo. You have been around the block uh, a couple of times. Yeah, I've been on, I've been on every military-type uh, service base. I never wore a Air Force uniform. I wore the other three, though. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. Fantastic. Well, hey, we appreciate having you on the show today. I know you have a lot to offer uh, our listeners, so... Um, First off, thank you for your service uh, to our country. I really appreciate that, and I know my listeners do too as well. Trim, um, when we talk about prepping, you know, preparing for whatever might happen, whether it's societal collapse, uh, partial collapse, natural disaster, I mean, you name it, there's so many things that could happen. Um, what are your uh, deepest concerns? So what's, what's most important to you? Well, basically, I look at five things that really need to be concentrated on to be able to deal with any kind of economic isolation, regardless of its cause. If you were to, to list them in order of priority, clean water, drinking water, the second would be food and obtaining food, the third would be staying warm. Uh, up here it gets to be uh, minus 20 to minus 30 uh, degrees Fahrenheit on a regular basis, so staying warm uh, both by uh, heating your environment and dressing for it. Uh, number four would be morale and welfare and recreation because uh, you really want to kind of prevent things like cabin fever and, and the associated problems that go with that. And last of all, in, in that chain of priority would be communication and transportation, being able to communicate with other people, particularly if you're living uh, in a rather remote area like I do, does help so that you know what's going on, but it also helps other people to know uh, what you're thinking if you need to help them. So uh, those are the five biggest priorities, in my opinion. Most people have shelter right now, and most people have uh, um, ways of uh, dealing with their security issues, although maybe not. 
but that's the sort of thing that I pay attention to with those five issues. Okay, you named water first. Is that because without potable water, well, what can you last, what, two, three days without water? Pretty much. That's about it. And, and the thing of it is, it has to be, you know, when you say potable, it has to be clean enough to drink and not cause disease. I mean, mm -hmm. one of the things that always happens in the, in the situation like that is that people have a problem with uh, communicable diseases such as uh, cholera and typhoid fever and all those sorts of things, things that we don't think about anymore because we're mostly immunized uh, against those things. Everybody gets a DPT shot every uh, 10 years or so, and the only thing they realize is they say, well, it's a tetanus shot. Well, it also protects you against diphtheria and pertussis. Those are the sorts of diseases that uh, are fairly common in society, but when there is a breakdown in, in uh, social structure, uh, communicable diseases such as cholera, typhoid fever, and the like uh, become real problems. So water, uh, clean water, uh, is of paramount importance for staying alive. Yeah. Um, now, I know some people, everyone does this a little differently. I think it depends really on their situation, you know, whether they're in uh, an urban situation or a, a rural situation. I mean, my situation is rural, and I think yours is too. And what I've done is um, I have a, uh, a, a deep well. It's about a 130-foot well, but it's a hand pump well, so electricity goes out. We'll still have water. But we're also fortunate enough to have a, a fairly clean creek uh, running right to the center of our property, which is kind of nice. But, uh, you know, some people just have bottled water. What what recommendations do you have uh, for a uh, water source? Well, it really depends on um, where you are. The, um, the things that, that are available vary from place to place. Some people have streams, some people have wells, some people have city water, but you have to assume that things like city water could very easily be uh, non-existent in the event that uh, uh, there's some kind of power loss. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that if there was an EMP, for instance, it would be really difficult for people to be able to get water because their normal water source is pumped by either their rural water system or by something uh, um, more central. So being yeah. able to to get water, um, you, you could dig your own well, I suppose. Digging a well is pretty dangerous. Drilling a well is a little easier. Um, and they and there are there are kits that you can use with a garden hose and this kit, and you can literally uh, drill a well. But uh, to tell you the truth, uh, there are still people in this country uh, who call themselves a water witch, and uh, they're pretty good at it. They can find water on the ground, and I don't mm -hmm. know how deep they can go, but they uh, they can tell you where the water is in in your area, and you're going to have to do whatever you got to do. I mean, we were taught in special forces that you could put a plastic bag around a tree branch and get some water, and there were lots of different kinds of of ways of obtaining water, but the point is any water source is better than no water source. And right. the trick is you have to be able to know how to to clean it. You want to filter it from all the particulate matter, and you've got to clean it from its biological 
uh, contaminants. And there are so many different ways of doing that. The cheapest and easiest to store, uh, the easiest to get right now would be a, a bottle of chlorine bleach, but that's only good for a short period of time. If you buy what's called calcium hypochlorite, remember uh, Clorox bleach is just 5% uh, sodium hypochlorite, but you can go to any swimming pool store and buy uh, calcium hypochlorite in powder form. And there's a, a really easy recipe where you put 100 grams of that in two gallons of water, and then you then you make a 2% solution of that, uh, if I remember right. And uh, what will end up happening is that you'll have, with a with a five pounds of, uh, actually with only one pound bag of sodium uh, potassium, uh, excuse me, calcium hypochlorite, you could uh, literally have uh, about uh, 10,000 gallons worth of clean water uh, for an extended period of time. I think that's that's the uh, the calculation I remember. Um, so you could conceivably drink swamp water if you had if you had that. You can drink anything as long as you can clean it up. Yeah. So you could boil it for 20, 30 minutes, or you could treat it uh, with the calcium chloride that you were talking about. The hypochlorite, not calcium chloride. Calcium okay. chloride is a different chemical. That's just basically salt. Hypochlorite okay. is the is the active ingredient. That's what you want. All right. Is that real expensive or no? About or five a, bucks for a pound. You go to the oh wow swimming pool store. Go to a swimming pool store, and I tell people all the time. I said, you know, go buy a bag of this stuff and just put it away. If you buy a bottle of Clorox bleach, it'll cost you a couple of dollars, maybe two, three dollars. And that'll work for a long period of time, but the problem is it breaks down to just plain salt and water after a period of time, whereas the calcium hypochlorite, or you used to be able to get sodium hypochlorite in powder form, but calcium hypochlorite is what they use for swimming pools, so it's it's readily available everywhere, and it's very inexpensive. And, you know, if you have five pounds of that stuff stored, it's it's almost imperceptible in volume, Um you know, a, a one-pound um, envelope is about four inches by about eight eight to ten inches in, in size, and it might be about an inch or two thick. So you can imagine that it would it would store very well. And like I said, a hundred grams in two gallons of water, and then you then you make a, a solution of a couple of tablespoons of that into uh, into your drinking water. Um, you're you're talking about having that last for. More more years than you're going to live. <laughs> well, you know what? I have learned something already because you know I have uh, bottles of uh, you know bleach, you know, in in my garage uh, for that purpose. But mm-hmm. you're saying it breaks down. What is it? How many years does it take to to break down? About two years. Wow. Uh, so yeah, yeah it's. it's a lot of people think that yeah, you just buy a bottle of Clorox bleach and let it sit there and. And when you decide it's time to use it, if it's if it's more than two years, you basically wasted your money and your and your time, and, and uh, that's one of the things you really have to be very careful about. So, getting it in the powdered form of the calcium hypochlorite is really the, in my opinion, best way of storing uh, a way of sterilizing water indefinitely. It doesn't mm-hmm. require any energy, such as boiling, and uh, you can filter water from its particulate matter, even with things like uh, 
a roll of toilet paper or a roll of paper towels or just about anything. You can you can make uh, eluding chambers out of PVC pipe and sand and charcoal and all kinds of things and basically get all the real particulate garbage out of the water. And then you sterilize it with the uh, solution um, of the calcium hypochlorite or, or new Clorox bleach or whatever kind of bleach you want to use, and you've got safe drinking water. That is awesome. Well, I'm glad I'm glad we had you on because I didn't know that. I'm going to have to make some changes, you know, to my own uh, prepping plan. So that's great, uh, Trim. We are about out of time, but I can't believe it's already been close to 14 minutes here uh, that we've been talking. Uh, you're very interesting, and we need to keep going on this. So we're going to take a short break uh, for our advertisers here. And then when we come back, uh, we will get to item number two on your list, and we'll talk about that some more. So, uh, folks, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with the Home Defense Show with Skip Coriel. Welcome to my dad's Home Defense Radio Show. You're going to love it. Do you have problems with sinus pain and pressure? Do other people smell things that you don't? Have you lost the joy in eating because food just doesn't taste like it used to? Is your nose always stuffy, no matter what you do? Maybe you have sinus or nasal polyps. These are generally benign growths that occur from chronic sinus infection or allergies that are either undertreated or have not been treated at all. At Peachtree ENT Center, we specialize in minimally invasive balloon dilation sinus surgery and correction of a deviated nasal septum and turbinate reduction surgery that can be done in the office. We use a state-of-the-art equipment so that you can see the problem. You will be a partner in your care, and together we will decide the course of treatment. We believe in old-fashioned medicine, where we take the time to fix the problem, not just medicate the symptoms. You can rest assured that all options will be offered before surgery is recommended, because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. All right, folks, this is Skip Coriel with the Home Defense Show. We are speaking with Trim from South Dakota. Um, a very uh, knowledgeable and hardcore uh, prepper uh, with a very interesting background and a lot of knowledge. So let's keep tapping his brain. I think we've finished up with item number one, water. Let's go on to item number two. Uh, talk about that for a little bit, Trim. Well, the second most important item is food. 
You have to have food to live, and you have to have food to stay healthy, and there are a number of ways to do it. One of the biggest mistakes I find people make is that they think that storing cans of food and ready-to-eat stuff is the way to go, and in my particular opinion, that's a big mistake. There are two reasons for that. The first reason is because if somebody decides to steal your food, they're only going to steal what they can eat, and they're going to they're going to steal what they can eat readily. So anything you store is going to be subject to whatever the vagaries of, of human uh, ills are and human inadequacies. The other idea is to store things that require some effort, but people won't steal things if they if they find 50-pound bag of, of beans. Well, they're not going to want to cook all those beans, and they're certainly not going to want to haul a 50-pound bag with them. So the idea being is, is store things that are closest to their uh, natural condition. One of the most important things you can use in, in a situation like that are sprouts. There are mm -hmm. three categories of things that you can use sprouts for, one of which is greens, fresh greens like radish seed and um, alfalfa seed, things like that. And then there are things that have protein in them, like beans. Garbanzo beans is a particularly good one. Lentils is particularly good. And each of those things can be eaten either cooked as, as uh, cooked beans or, or whatever, or you can sprout them. Now, the interesting thing is about sprouts that is particularly interesting to me is the fact that sprouts are the only form of food that are not taken away from their primary life source before you eat it. Everything else you eat in this world is taken away from its primary life source, whether you slaughter the animal or you picked an apple from the tree. Once you do that, it's no longer associated with its primary life source. Sprouts, on the other hand, give you all of the natural energy that goes into their existence. It goes right into you when you eat them. The second part of the sprout issue is the fact that you can store a lot of seed for sprouts and the size will increase at least three to four times as a result of soaking uh, the sprouts with water, the uptake of water and the cellular division that makes the sprout grow. All of that provides you with a tremendous amount of volume. So you, you could survive off of that. The, the other beautiful thing about sprouts is that you can grow it indoors during the winter. And everybody knows that uh, winter is the hardest time to get fresh greens. So imagine having, you know, a multitude of different kinds of fresh green vegetables available to you all the time for the simple effort of, of soaking the seed a little bit and putting it in a uh, dark location for a couple of days. You know, Trim, it's, it's real coincidental that you talk about sprouts so highly because for the very first time in my life, I started some sprouts um, just two days ago, and I started some lentils. I'd never done it before, but my uh, I did it with my five-year-old daughter, and we just went on YouTube, and we watched about three or four different ways of doing it, and we were using a, a, the jar method to do that, and just today um, there's little tiny roots, I guess, coming or, or something coming out of the, the lentils. And it's quite interesting. It's going to be fun to see what these things uh, taste like. I eat lentils all the time in, in my Bengali curry-type food that I make, but I've, I've never 
had sprouts before. I'm more of a meat and potatoes kind of guy, but it's interesting. What do you put on, do you just eat your sprouts raw, bare, or do you, what do you put on them? You name it. You know, you can cook them. You know, mung beans and wheat are also two of the most important types of, of seeds. And you can sprout them. I put uh, salad dressing on them. If you can get it, you know, vinegar and, and oil and some, you know, different herbs and spices, uh, dress it up very nicely. Or you can, you can cook it in, to, you know, add it on to a sandwich instead of lettuce. I hmm. do that fairly. I used to do that a lot, too. Some people, when I was much younger, there used to be a, a, a store that made sandwiches, and they, they had uh, banana slices and peanut butter and alfalfa sprouts and made a lovely sandwich out of it. And it was very nutritious, reasonably cheap, and uh, it really filled you up. You know, a piece of bread really takes you a long way. So wheat, there are so many things you can do with wheat. Obviously, you can, you can grind it for flour and make all kinds of whatever you can imagine for, from flour. You can sprout the wheat and you can uh, sprout the wheat and then grind it up and make a juice out of it, and that's also very uh, nutritious. The other thing you want to think about with wheat, and the most important thing is that it stores indefinitely as long as it's kept clean and dry. Uh, there's a lot of gluten intolerance going around right now. This gluten intolerance is kind of the disease du jour. You know, I told you I graduated from medical school. I spent 30 years as a physician. So, you know, the number of people who are truly uh, gluten intolerant, uh, quite honestly, could be fit on the head of a pin and compared to a BB rolling down a six-lane highway. Uh, the point is that, that gluten intolerance is something people made up because it sounds cool. There are a number of diseases that are, are inborn errors in metabolism, and true, true gluten intolerance is one of those. So, you know, it, it's pretty hard for people to uh, just claim to be gluten intolerant without having that inborn error of metabolism. They generally don't live all that long as a result. So um, a lot of people just, uh, you know, they, they heard about it, so, oh, yeah, well, I... That causes me to have a lot of gas, too. I guess I'm gluten intolerant. Well, <laughs> you know, so do beans. You know, if you don't, the reason why you have problems with gas from beans is because there's a sugar called raffinose in beans, and the human body doesn't make the enzyme raffinase, which uh, dissolve, you know, which metabolizes that the bond and that. So it's not an important issue. If you look at all of the things that really have wheat in them and the gluten, and it's mostly, mostly from wheat products. If I remember right, the carpenter of Nazareth told us when we pray to, to thank God for her, the um, daily bread. Well, that's because it was the most valuable item that we got from the earth. And uh, mm -hmm. so, like I said, wheat is an incredibly valuable item that lots of things Every bean, any kind of bean can be ground up and made into flour. So it doesn't matter what you have. You can grind it up and make flour out of it. There are things you can, you can eat um, around the yard. If, if you live in a rural area, there are an astounding number of items that most people think are weeds and that they're not valuable for anything. But quite honestly, they'll keep you alive when, you know, there isn't anything else around. Dandelions is one of the the beauties of, of the earth, and of course, people think that they're in the way and they spend a lot of time throwing poison all over their dandelions, 
along with things like stinging nettle and some of the other kinds of uh, purslane, for instance. All these things are very nutritious. You know, if you know what to look at and you know what to pick from the earth, <laughs> you'll never starve. Yeah. You know, it sounds like uh, you just have to know what to stockpile, and in the, in the event of long-term uh, unrest, uh, you're just going to have to get used to eating different things, different ways, cooking different ways, and, and things of that nature, because without le- electricity, you're basically you're going back, what, 150 years in time, um, and things were a lot different, and most people, they don't have the knowledge or the skill set to really survive in 150 years ago. Well, we wouldn't we wouldn't be here if those folks hadn't survived. Life obviously, yeah. Life was different, you know. But you're, what you're talking about is if anything happened to our society and we lost the ability to have electricity generated by the the what do you call it the, the power companies, truth and or the grid. Let's use the word the grid. If we can retain our knowledge of how to make electricity on the individual level, it really isn't going to be that big a deal. You know, there are just mm-hmm. some things that we can we can continue to have, some some of the 21st, 20th and 21st century items that we've managed to uh, accumulate that we can continue to have as long as we can make our own electricity. I, I personally am, am uh, I have about 16 solar panels, and I have a 3,500-watt wind turbine on my farm. I can make all the electricity that I use in my house as long as I'm not using my uh, geothermal heating si- system. Mm-hmm. So, uh, can you, Trim, can you give us a, a ballpark figure of a setup like you have right there? Um, but how much does that cost, approximately? Well, since I did the work myself, I, I put about $31,000 in cash. Now, that was back when a 175-watt solar panel costs about $500. Today, you can get a 300-watt solar panel for about uh, 200 So So, okay. uh, it really, it, the cost of the solar energy issue um, has, has come down a great deal. Now, you still have to have the supporting equipment, which are things like the Batteries, because um, the the solar panels, all they are, they're battery chargers. And you, mm-hmm. so you have to have the batteries to store the electricity, and then you have to have an inverter to turn it into uh, house power. Or you can leave it at 12 volt, I suppose, and operate things that uh, operate on 12 volts. There's plenty of lights and all kinds of cooking equipment now that, that you can get that operate on 12 volt. So... Uh, we wouldn't have to be um, uh, reverted to the Stone Age, uh, which is what a lot of people fear. But the problem is there are just not there is not enough infrastructure uh, for as many people as there are, and that's something we really have to be worried about. You know, what yeah. are these people going to do and live in a city if, if the electricity and power goes out? All these people living in high rises, they're not going to have water, they're not going to have electricity, they're not going to have heat. And uh, they're going to be in, in pretty bad, dire straits. So uh, yeah, out here on the farm, uh, you know, to me it'll be an annoyance. To them it'll, it'll consume them. And yeah. that's the biggest problem is that they, they really don't understand that it's going to consume them. And right now it's not important to them because they can walk downstairs 
run across the street to the Piggly Wiggly or the uh, Albertsons or whatever food store you got there and uh, go buy their, their dozen eggs and go back up to their apartment. So uh, the idea of being able to store food um, for an extended period of time is, is uh, something that you have to consider. And like I said, the most important thing is not to store it in, in cans. Imagine how much uh, a can of soup weighs, but if you had the contents of the can of soup in a dry form, you could have about mm -hmm. five cans of soups worth of food in the same amount of weight, maybe even more. Yeah. True, true. We have already burned through uh, the third segment of the show. Um, normally the fourth segment I reserve for uh, just me, but I, I don't, we're, we're not done yet. Uh, are you able to stay on the phone for, uh, you know, another 14 uh, minutes? long as we don't drop the call. This is the Home Defense Show with Skip Coriel. We're going to be back in a couple of minutes. We'll be speaking with Trim from South Dakota. We will be right back. My name is Phoenix Coriel. Welcome to the Home Defense Show with my dad, Skip Coriel. We'll be right back. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verifying your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week as we explore all aspects of home and family defense as we strive to defend the ones we love in an ever-changing and volatile world. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Okay, folks, we are back on the Home Defense Show. This is your host, Skip Coriel. We're speaking with Trim from South Dakota, learning a lot of really good stuff here today. I've been prepping for eight years, and I am still learning things. Uh, that's the nice thing about this. You never know it all. You just keep learning more and more and more. So, Trim, let's just, we've gone over number one, water, number two, food. What is uh, item number three on your list? Item number three is staying warm. Now, staying warm has a fairly wide variety of definitions, but it comes in basically two forms, one of which is dressing properly for the environment, and second of all is heating the environment in which you live. And adapting to uh, a lack of energy availability can be fairly simple, and people who want to be able to survive comfortably 
in a situation where their lack of energy, like on the grid, is not as difficult as a lot of a lot of folks previously thought. I remember watching a movie some time ago, and uh, it was a movie about people in um, about the 1400s. And one of the things that I thought was interesting is that they had beds. They called them covered beds. And it's basically a box with a bed inside of it, but it is small enough that you can sleep inside there, especially if there's somebody with you. And the heat that your body generates, plus the uh, insulation that you can put around it, particularly now that we have the availability of things like styrofoam, it's amazing what you could make yourself to be able to stay warm in, uh, in the coldest of nights. In my house, when I moved to South Dakota and I didn't heat the living room, the house was so well insulated that it never got below 45 degrees in the first level, and it never got below about uh, 55 in the cellar because it was below grade. So and that's survivable. That's exactly right. Even 45 is, is survivable. I mean, lots of people have done it. So the idea is if you can dress for the occasion and you know how to dress and you know how to stay warm as you're doing your daily activities, staying warm by heating your environment becomes almost a luxury. Obviously, I put a lot of time into uh, learning about something called rocket stoves. The rocket stove is an invention by a, a fellow named uh, Larry Winiarski from the University of Wisconsin, and what his intent was was to provide a way of cooking for people in the third world utilizing essentially almost no uh, fuel. People in the third world really have no real availability other than sticks and grass and little bits of this and that. But he built this thing, and it's a very simple mechanism. And what it will do is allow you to burn just about any kind of biomass in the thing, and it produces a tremendous amount of heat. And, oh, by the way, it's so efficient that you can put your face over the stack and just breathe carbon dioxide and water. It doesn't... Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a very, very uh, efficient form of, of heat. So, you know, if you've got yourself 100 pounds of wood and you go through 100 pounds of wood in a fireplace in a day, you'll go through that same 100 pounds of wood in a rocket stove in a, maybe three or four days. And we could probably just go on YouTube and do a search on rocket stove and there probably someone has showed you how to, how to build one right there. There is a wealth of information on now, there's something called a rocket mass heater, and what it is, it's a rocket stove that is, the exhaust is it's like stovepipe, and they run it through uh, something that's constructed out of cob, which is sand and clay and water, and basically uh, it becomes a heat battery. So all the heat that is exhausted from your rocket stove now soaks into this uh, cob, which becomes, like I said, a heat battery, and it will it will slowly dissipate the heat in your house overnight, so that you don't lose your entire amount of heat in the in the air in the room. Things that are in the room have uh, ambient temperature as well as the the air itself. So if you heat the things rather than the air, you stay warm no matter what happens. And that's the that's basically the principle of the rocket mass heater. There are some folks who have done a tremendous amount of research on rocket stoves and rocket mass heaters, 
the the more you learn about those things and you realize how simple they are, it's almost mind-boggling to know that you really don't have to be cold if you don't want to be. Yeah, okay, we've got about eight minutes left. Let's move on to item number four. Item number four, in my opinion, is what I call morale, welfare, and recreation, MWR. Everybody's ever been in the military knows what that is. It's a way to get away from all your troubles for a little while, whether you're just playing cards or you're doing physical exercise or you're doing something like a hobby. The idea is you have to have some way of getting away from the, the hard things that are dealing, that you're dealing with, such as, you know, if you're working 98% of your day, you still need a few minutes where you can enjoy something, reading a book, playing, playing music um, on an instrument, or, or just singing. The whole idea being that people, particularly in, in groups, need interaction with each other and fellowship, and the sorts of things that are available uh, now aren't what they used to be in the past. Everybody's so busy with their cell phones and their their iPads and all these other things, they, they completely ignore each other. We used to have things called dances. <laughs> and and that's, how you met, you know, that's how you met girls, you know. So yeah. we all we all did those things. There used to be social organizations. Think of all the social organizations that have, have begun to dissipate because people sit home in front of the television and don't really interact with each other. If the power goes out, then you're going to have to start thinking about how to interact with other people. And if you haven't been doing that for a while, it's a little bit challenging. So yeah. the idea is that you need some time off. No matter what you're doing, you need some time off, and you need something to divert your <coughs> your attention away from the hard work and the hard things in life and the dangers and the and all the things that, that you're worried about and just to let your mind rest and relax a little bit. You know, uh, Trim, I, I really like that that you have that as number four. My wife and I, uh, we've got three kids still at home, five, seven, and ten. And what I what we've tried to do here is we've tried to go back in time about fifty years, because I remember when I grew up in in the sixties. You know, we would do that. We would play board games. We'd play card games. You know, cowboys and Indians. You know, we there was very little television. And we were none the worse for that. I think we were really better off, and, and we do that at our house all the time. And what I'm finding is that my kids are happier, and my, they're more intelligent, and that they, uh, they're they closer to us than the other families that I look at who are all the time on their iPhones and their iPods and all these other electronic devices, which very, quite frankly, could not be around uh, in the types of cases that we're talking about. So, I, I number four, I, I, I'm all over that. I think that's great. So, uh, we've got uh, four minutes left. So let's talk about uh, item number five. Item number five would be communication and transportation. Now, if I start with uh, transportation, the one thing I would tell everybody is to go buy as many old bicycles or new bicycles, if you've got the money, as you can get. Bicycles will become the horse of the future. And the beauty of the bicycle is it doesn't it doesn't require any energy that you don't already have. You don't have to buy anything to make it operate, and it'll take you anywhere you want to go. People ride bicycles in recumbent manner. They can ride bicycles, um, you know, the usual way. And you can, with a little bit of creativity, 
create all kinds of things with the parts of bicycles such that you can you can actually do work with it. The point being that uh, you might not be able to operate an automobile, and that's going to mean you're going to want to be able to get around without the ability to own a horse. Now, those of us who live out in the country might be able to come up with a horse, but still a horse has to be fed, and a horse has to be cleaned up and taken care of, and, you know, a bicycle, as long as it's oiled and it's not broken, <laughs> you can leave it for weeks and it won't matter. It doesn't care. That's one of the things that, you know, a bicycle built for two, what they call a tandem bicycle, boy, that's one of the most valuable things you can get your hands on <laughs> because that means you and somebody else can get somewhere and you can share the work of riding the bicycle such that if you had to go a long distance, you can either both ride and, and power it together, or you can take turns, and, and one can work and one can rest, and then you can extend your trip by a great deal. It used to be that most towns in the Midwest were about nine miles apart, and if you ever knew what the reason for that nine miles uh, in distance was, it was, the, it was the distance that you could drive a team during the day and not wear them out. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, that's why... That's why uh, um, towns are about nine miles apart because most of the transportation was horse-drawn, and if you, if you work a team for nine miles pulling a heavy load, they're pretty done by nine miles, and you either have to let them rest or you have to get a new team. Most people don't mm -hmm. want to trade in their horses to somebody else to get a horse that may not be in as good a condition. So the, the point being that the bicycle will be the, the mode of transportation, in my opinion, of the future, all kinds of viable issues. Now, as far as communication is concerned, uh, I think getting a ham radio, and it's so easy now to do the study to get a ham license that it, it really doesn't make sense not to. A ham radio is not going to require anything other than some 12-volt electricity, and that's really easy to come by. Your car battery can power a ham radio. As long as you can talk to somebody else, you at least have a connection with the outside world. And when you live as far away from places as I do, um, you know, just having some kind of communication to say, hey, are you okay, <clears throat> will make a big deal of difference to a lot of people. Now, obviously, you're not going to be able to call 911 with a ham radio very easily, but that's been done too. So the idea being simple walkie-talkies, having a walkie-talkie that can reach a couple of miles, you know, at least to your nearest neighbor, is better than nothing at all. Radio transmission does not require anything other than a little bit of power. You know, it doesn't require a license, really. Um, what's it, the ham radio? But it doesn't require any kind of uh, central billing system, <laughs> you know. So yeah, sure. uh, it, it, it's something that you can do, and if your neighbors all have a walkie-talkie, you can talk to them, too. So yeah. uh, there's a lot of good things to be said for that. You know, just having a... A simple walkie-talkie or a CB radio is, is another really good, inexpensive way of making sure that you can reach out and touch somebody uh, at least for, a, you know, to do a sit-rep once a day just to let people know sure. that everything is okay. And if you get sit-reps from everybody that you know or everybody in your family who may not be living in your house, that's really all you need. You know, it used to be in my family no news was good news. We are totally out of time. I know you have more to say, and I'd like to listen some more, but we're out of time. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. 
Thank you for listening.